Rodney, it's happening, bro. Bovine colostrum. Mmm. That reminds uh, me of uh, a baby. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Mammals, yep, yep. mammals have colostrum. It's the first milk. Yep. Uh, yep. From what I understand, bovine bovine overproduce like for for an individual calf they make way more colostrum than a calf will need so mm-hmm. a lot of farmers will store the extra and freeze it give it to their other animals when they're sick when they're hurt and like dogs when they have stomach infections because it's a really it's got a high uh, insulin growth factor igf1 mm. and mm. it helps immune system and just growth and uh so i've been oh and also like leaky gut so I've mm. been experimenting with it, and and like my first two weeks, yeah, I like, positive. You I like. like? We're gonna we're gonna have to talk about leaky gut at another time. You kind of kind of just drop that one. <laughs> Welcome back to the More in Common podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with my daughter, Adeline, today. What up, Adeline? Do you want to say hi? She's shy. Not going to say hi. My name is Rodney, and I just want to remind you that this journey that Keith and I are on is about driving productive human connection by anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation. And compassion being the operative word in all of this. It is a thing that we are very adamant about giving to people, especially when we don't want to give it to them. It's grace. Mm-hmm. It's res- You know what it is? I thought about this the other day. It is respecting the fact that I wasn't always where I am right now. It took me time to get here, and it might take other people time to get wherever they're going, too. I think that's a big part. So give some compassion. That's all. So today's episode, we and got an episode coming. Today out. we're with uh, TJ Bonaventura. Yes, we all are name. And if you want to know about compassion, he'll tell you straight up how to have it. So mm-hmm. he's really good at talking about it. And, you know, we learn about him and his journey into entrepreneurship. And it's just a it's a great conversation closing with leadership. It's just it's strong. It's fun. It, and we like TJ is. a lot. And TJ's awesome. He's an entrepreneur. So like if you think if you're like, why would I why would I listen to this? This TJ guy. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. Uh, he's he's I would say a very conscious entrepreneur. He's he's trying to do right by his people and his teams and his clients. We get into that. He's helping podcasts get started and going. So if you have one of those and you're interested, hit him up. And uh Indeed. Yeah. And check out check them out at Studio Pod. And of course, you can check us out. Everything that we do at moreincommonent.com. Right. And uh, we'll leave you there. Just go check out this amazing conversation. Beep up. interesting stage in my life and that kind of just planted the seed of like i need to do my own thing and finally made the jump and it was the moment i left the moment day one of doing it and and starting studio pod and being full-time was it was i can't describe what i was going through it was just like 
holy shit, I know what I'm doing. And I get like, it, 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 this is what I was meant to do. It was freeing. It was rewarding. And I felt it all within that first day. There was no regret, no remorse, no, what am I doing? It was full belief in myself and Julian and, and what we're doing, you know, as a company, what I'm doing personally. TJ Bonaventura is the co-founder of Studio Pod Media, a full-service podcast media and production company helping organizations and individuals create their podcasts. A product of Washington State University, he spent his childhood split between a suburb of Detroit and San Francisco, which we talk about. Initially, he dreamed of being in the NBA before being sucked into the Silicon Valley tech life. While always dreaming of being an entrepreneur, he hesitated in making that jump until finally coming to the conclusion that was the life he needed. Let's get in. TJ, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm fired up to be here. Fired up. There we go. Long time coming. Stoked to have you. It's good. So what tip do you have, have for navigating difficult conversations? Since we're all about compassionate conversation, that's, that's our jam. That's what we're here for. Let's start the show talking about it. Your answer was ask why. Like, where does that, and you came, came at it quick. Where, what's your approach to asking why? We'll start there. Yeah. So it kind of stems from my history and where I used to handle difficult conversations. And it would be more opinionated on my end where it would just be a back and forth, not such so a discussion, but more of like a debate. And I used to get either frustrated or I think it would be funny when somebody would have a difficult conversation that I didn't agree with. And instead, I had this thought, I don't know what rigor, what really triggered it. Um, I'm sure I had a lot of things going on in my life at the time. But I just started asking why someone believes in that, Right. And even if I didn't disagree with it, if I started asking why, what I noticed is if I kept, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like when you're, when you have a, you know, Rodney, you have kids and, and I'm sure there's a point where like, you know, why is it, why is the, the, the sun, you know, rise in the morning, you know, why, and you just go down that path of why, 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 and then they get curious. And it's the same thing. If you have these types of discussions, at least in my experience is like, if I just ask somebody why, then they start explaining their thoughts and I keep on asking why, then they keep going and they'll finally they'll naturally in conversation get to a point where like, okay, now we're on the same page of why you believe in what you believe. And I understand where they're coming from versus just making an assumption or make like starting a debate and having it lead to like a, a negative place. That makes sense. How do you, it makes a lot of sense. How do you strike a tone of, how do you strike a tone that's, that's accepted? I, this, something I struggle with is I'm, I'm super curious, but oftentimes I can be very intense when I ask questions and it can come off as like an inquisition. And uh, so I need, I'm trying to figure out how to soften a little bit. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I think part of it is just, I think my tone naturally comes from a spot of like, like, I mean, my voice is semi, semi deep and it, it comes from a spot of just like, it's very soothing and relaxing. <laughs> and I'm going to play radio. That, you got that. Um, you got that late night DJ thing exactly. going. I, yeah, I've I've definitely got that Typically before. proven to calm people. Yeah, so I think it's this part of that where like I I've always been good at like when I allow myself to and I take the time to like w- like want to learn somebody's thoughts and and feelings and I ask why people tend to open up. 
which is, I think, just a, I think I'm lucky to, to have had that. And people don't feel like nervous or close off around me. If anything, they, they open up. So I, I, but I do do it from like a curious, like a genuine curiosity standpoint. My biggest pet peeve is, is anybody who's disingenuous. And I tend to be able to seek that out quite, quite well. And so if I feel like if I'm coming from a, a side of curiosity and someone who actually wants to learn where they're coming from, whether it's, whether I agree with it or not, it tends to lead to a positive conversation. It leads to a healthy discussion versus like a debate. And don't get me wrong, I've been in situations where uh, with family members, whether it's politics related, whether it's like sports related, whether it's whatever related, like where, you know, there are certain family members who can, you know, get under my skin more so than others. And, you know, maybe I, I pop off every once in a while, but I try to learn from it and recognize it and make sure like this person isn't going to change. If it's that way, the only thing that's going to change is is my attitude and my thought process within a discussion. So if I can frame that differently, I think it would be more healthy for everybody. Comment and then a question. I think there's an interesting space of sincerity and being genuine that 80%, 90% of all communication is is nonverbal, right? It's not just body language. It's not just tone. It's It's the things that are so imperceptible that you have to train yourself to see that you see regardless because of evolution at the end of the day. And when someone asks why in an insincere way, you get defensive. When someone asks why with curiosity as an anchor point, it's amazing. Just it's like, Oh, why do you think that? Like, and it can, it can, really be all as long as it's sincere regardless of tone sometimes it can be pretty pretty eye-popping um how effective that simple question simple word can be but you said I know you have a question case yeah and yeah. a question but you just brought up yeah. something that i wrote down so i kind of wanted the sincerity and the disingenuous thing yeah, real quick let's go let's go yeah just i mean i think in general people's bullshit meters are pretty good but from my own personal experience, I'm not always tuned into it or like willing to listen to it or willing to see like what I actually pick up. But like you said, you're really good at it. How do, any, any thoughts as to why you're good at it or, or how you go about sensing people's authenticity? You know, I had a feeling you were going to ask that question and <laughs> I, 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 I really don't. It's kind of just like a radar that I have and in it, in it, the proof is sort of in the pudding with people that I surround myself with. And, you know, situations where like, actually, this person is rubbing me the wrong way. I don't really get a good vibe from them. And then hearing maybe like a year, six months later, like something happened within that with that person or a situation they were in. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not somebody I necessarily want to associate myself with. And I can kind of just read through that. Maybe it's because, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just something that, but the, the thing with that too, and I try to be conscious of this is like, when you're, when you have a bullshit meter, that's like, you know, all the way to the red and you're like, okay, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. It's like, that doesn't, you don't want to necessarily like define that person or you want to like exclude that person from your life because then you like, I have this predisposed to think that person is always going to be like that and they can't change and you, and I can't build a relationship with that person. So there is that bit of like give and take of, okay, this person is trying to either impress me or this person is um, maybe ha is a bit lonely or maybe there's something going on that maybe I, like I can tap into and build a relationship with. And part of that is just like running studio pod and you get a lot of different clients and you have people from all walks of life. And so you need to make some sort of connection with them. Uh, and it's, it's something that I try to be conscious of, but I still tend to trust my gut in those situations. 
speaks to the, I can tell if I like someone within five minutes, right? Um, it's like, yeah, maybe, but give it a little bit of time to see what that, I mean, you don't have to be best friends with everybody you meet, but you can certainly build a connection to your point. How do you maintain curiosity in other people? Is it a natural thing or is it, it sounds like it's something that you've trained yourself to do. Yeah, it's, it wasn't always like that. You know, I had a, just a very small bubble for a very long time. Like I knew who my really good friends were. I knew who my family was and I didn't tend to like, I'm definitely extroverted, but I think there is an aspect of like introvertedness in there and being comfortable within my, my bubble and my home and my, dom- my domicile or domicile. However it is that you want to pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, I think just like stepping outside of that, like, so I went through, so in 2018, I was ended a a, a relationship with somebody where I was with them for eight years. I was married for a year and a half and we divorced and separated in 2018. And I moved back to San Francisco from New York. And what had happened was from the time that I left San Francisco to go to New York and the four years to come back, my bubble had since gone, meaning everyone had moved on with their lives, meaning they moved out of San Francisco. They moved, you know, into the burbs, had kids, had dogs, you know, they were moving forward. And what was my, my crew, if you will, or the people that I hung out with religiously were gone. And so it kind of forced me to realize, okay, it's time to make new relationships and make new friends and and be curious to do so. I mean, I always knew I was good at like, meeting new people. I just never allowed myself to get to that point. And so coming back in a situation where like, all right, well, I got to make new friends was life-changing because it allowed me to to build these types of relationships, have new groups of close friends while still maintaining that those other groups. And I, you know, it's it was it's very rewarding. And I do like going to meet someone new for for a beer or for coffee or for whatever it may be, even if I get a little sense of anxiety of like, I'm, I don't want to do this, but like when I go do it, I feel fulfilled, even if it's like not a fruitful relationship, whether that could be like a personal professional side of things. So coming out and coming back to that situation and, and being forced to do it, it's kind of like that fight or flight situation. Um, mm. And for me, it's always been like fight. You know, it's okay to take chances on yourself and realize what you're good at. And being curious is, is definitely one of those things. So it's always this... Uh, Thank you for indulging the conversation portion of this conversation. Um, the uh, the taking a chance on yourself. So on take a pivot mm-hmm. regarding your journey to entrepreneurship. What were the specifics of that journey? Well, first of all, it starts with like self doubt and self confidence. Right? Didn't have a lot of it necessarily. Like growing up and I kind of was taught that, you know, you find a good job, you make, you know, make decent money, you find a partner, you raise a family and you just, you know, move forward. You, you do that. And I knew deep down, like deep, deep down that like, I was not meant to be in front of a screen working for somebody else for nine to 10 hours a day. Right. That's just not what I was meant to do. It just took me years to figure that out. Um, so my journey was a huge sports fan growing up, massive sports fan. Um, I used it as an escape. I used it for energy. I used it for stress release. I, it was just like a huge part of my life. Like it just, it revolved it. I remember just like, didn't matter what the sport was. I just loved watching any, anything that was 
on the TV at the time. I used to analyze it. And so naturally, I, I went to school uh, for sport management uh, at Washington State, go Cougs. But they were the only program west of the Mississippi that had a sport management program, which essentially is just like a business degree with a sports focus. And so I really wanted to be an NBA scout, right? I love the idea of evaluating players, helping building a team. And I was very close to getting in the, in the footsteps of that where you have to start as a video coordinator because I didn't play in college because I wasn't a manager in college. I kind of had to, I had great connections. I just wasn't able to, to make that jump or get that position fulfilled. And so because of that, I took a job at a D2 school here in the Bay Area being an assistant coach, an unpaid assistant coach. When I was living at home, when it's like right out of school, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, my do they still call that a job if it's not paid? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, now it's a different, right? Like it's it's yeah, it's very very timely, right? And so, I I wasn't making any money. My parents were just like they supported me, which was great through college to a point, and then afterwards, like they were like, "No, you're paying everything now. Like you're going to pay everything: phone bill, car, everything. Like you're an adult. Time to to buckle up." And so uh, couldn't do that unpaid coaching job anymore. So I got a position to pay the bills here in, in you know, being in Silicon Valley, like in tech. And I worked for, a, I was a six person at a startup and just uh, fell in love with it. So I had to take a job in, uh, or so I took a job, a startup and kind of just fell in, lo- and fell in love with like being a startup and building this team and being, it was very like different from any sort of position I ever thought being in an office would be like. And then I took another job in sales because it was like I got more money and you know kind of progressed my career. Went to did some professional studies courses at NYU to learn some coding because in, in tech, you know, the more you know how to code, the more money you get paid. But at the end of the day, like speaking, this brings it back to dis, you know being disingenuous. The idea of like selling something on a screen, like SaaS technology, so software as a service, was just and I just I literally just had this conversation with my mom the other day. Um, cause she said, Oh, you know, you're so, you know, you're good at sales. Like that really helped you out. I'm like, yes, like technique wise, but I'm genuine now with what I do because I give a shit. Like I truly 100% give a shit of what I'm doing. I believe in, in studio pod. I believe in Julian, my co-founder. I believe in what we're doing. Whereas when I was working at Salesforce and another company before that called percolate, like while I was okay at my job, I was never a hundred percent belief in what I was doing because at the end of the day in my position I knew exactly the flaws of the of the business I knew the flaws of the software I knew the flaws of the technology but I had to avoid that in conversations to try and get the sale and that bothered the fuck out of me it bothered me to my core I could not excel it was always in the back of my mind whenever I would have these conversations you teach you get you learn these things about called reversing so if anyone's out there and they're evaluating technology or anything and you ask a question and someone asks you a question back it's because they're avoiding the question and they want to get to a deeper reason of why you want something uh, and it's a great technique and it, and it works really well and and it, going back to the question of why earlier well, like, there's I, psychology of positioning yeah. there too right like who comes first yeah and so it just it just bothered the hell out of me it just bothered the I couldn't like I just couldn't give it my hundred percent. And so while I, you know, was working at, you know, Salesforce, I just, at the end of the day, I was just like, I know this is what I'm not meant to do. Uh, but I wanted a little bit of stability financial wise. And I, you know, I, you know, sold my soul, if you will, for a bit there. And then eventually just got to a head where I'm like, I'm doing this side hustle. I'm creating this podcasting studio. I'm, you know, creating something that I'm really, like, I really, really give a shit about. And 
finally I just like made the jump. And, you know, you guys talked about what book I would recommend earlier, you know, when we were doing the rapid fire, when to jump by Mike Lewis, like was a pivotal, pivotal read for me, um, at a very interesting stage in my life. And that kind of just planted the seed of like, I need to do my own thing and finally made the jump. And it was the moment I left the moment day one of doing it and and starting studio pod and being full-time was it was, I can't describe what I was going through. It was just like, holy shit, I know what I'm doing. And I get like, it, 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 this is what I was meant to do. It was freeing. It was rewarding. And I felt it all within that first day. There was no regret, no remorse, no, what am I doing? It was full belief in myself and Julian and, and what we're doing, you know, as a company, what I'm doing personally. How did you, Oh, I guess I won't assume. Was there fear along with that? No fear. Really? The only fear that I had was that I felt like I didn't, well, I don't know if it was fear. It was being disingenuine because I felt like I was disingenuine at what I was doing at my prior job. And there was fear that someone would be able to catch that. I wasn't being genuine, I guess. Like, so that pain, that pain of not being yourself was greater than any fear that might've, it, if there was any, you didn't feel it because it was, it was greater that to not be yourself. Is that, mm-hmm. would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I remember having, I was, um, you know, I was put on like a performance plan at Salesforce at the end there. And, you know, I remember like, and they're like, you need you to, we need you to do this. You need to do that. You know, all this. And I was doing it. I was putting my heart in it because, you know, I didn't want to leave too early. I read all these different articles or books or situations of when people jump to do their side hustle full time. Like you want to be in a good spot financially, like all this stuff. And I guess if there was any fear, it was just like, am I doing this too soon? And I remember having a conversation with my manager at the time and I like was, I damn near broke down. I was like, I'm giving you everything I got here and it's not good enough. I was like, you know, let's just call it what it is. You know, like let's agree to separate at this point. Let's just do it. And we did. And it was awesome. And it was a very healthy conversation and it worked out for the best. And I think sometimes you need those situations of like to a realization because I could have done very well and they would have been like, all right, let's keep you on. And then six months later, like I, I then leave to do studio pod. And at the end of the day, it would have hurt the business, right? It actually was a very, very good thing that had happened at that particular time. How long were you running studio pod as a side hustle? Before you left. Yeah, I was doing it for about a little over a year. A little over a year. So I like that question. I also think that what I do when I try and break down situations like this is like the procedural. And I think whether it was a year or 10 years doesn't necessarily matter so much as what were the, like that conversation you almost broke down. So like there were indicators along the way. And earlier when you were leading up to this, you said, and you said it a couple times, actually, that you knew deep down that you weren't supposed to be in front of a screen working for somebody. So you knew it was there. And was there was it just like a not listening to it? Like, and were there just little incidents like that? Like, hey, you need to do this. And these like things that were just off that gave you indicators. Like what? It's probably hard to explain. It's hard. No, to no, ask, no, 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 no. I like, know. I, I know where you're coming from. And ultimately, it just came from like a I have a pretty strong inner critic inner critic, excuse me, something I constantly deal with all the time. And I, whether it's imposter syndrome or, you know, can't do this, can't do that, like hard on, I'm very hard on myself. And I'm, it's funny. I remember the moment I realized when I was in college, I knew exactly where I was walking. I could, I could take you to the point 
when I learned that entrepreneurship was a major that you could do. And I realized like my senior year and I was like, fuck, why didn't I do this? <laughs> this is a thing. Yeah. This is exactly like, cause I, even as a kid, like I would always think about random ideas and like, Oh, yeah. Like, oh, this would be really cool to invent this. It'd be really cool to do that. Like, I always had that spirit, but I never had like the push of like, yes, you could go do that. And my parents were never like that, even though my stepdad's an entrepreneur. Mm. You know, like he started like, well, I guess my his grandfather started their own upholstery business, which now he runs. And you know, but it wasn't more like that. It was like, you know, get a job, find a career that you you're good mm-hmm. at, not 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 that you love, make money, support a family, you know, rinse and repeat. But I knew like when I took that job initially with that six person startup, like, yes, it was fun. It was different. It was new. It was fresh. And I like, and I like change. It was not like, it wasn't like a, no, no job I had was ever a hundred percent fulfilling, I guess. And to me, like I am in this big mode of being like, I never want to be content. I want to be happy. And many situations in my life, I've been content and not happy. And when I get to that point, it's time to make a change. It's time to reevaluate. So when you assess that space of a hundred percent fulfilled, what is that? What is that? What about doing what you do now brings that to you? Well, a couple of things, a couple of indicators. I wake up and I'm ready to fucking conquer the day. Uh, but like this morning, uh, there was a problem with a, a show that we had and I had to wake up at two, three in the morning to, to rectify it. Right. No one else could at the time. And I had no, like, yes, it sucks waking up at 3am, but it wasn't like, fuck, oh, whatever. Like no one to do it. It's like, no, like, this is what you got to do. And I'm fulfilled by doing that. I'm fulfilled by helping other people create their, their shows. I'm fulfilled by individuals and brands who want to create something creative. And so I, I don't, I wake up and I'm like, I am excited to do what I'm doing. I'm excited at the opportunity. I'm excited at challenges. Um, whereas before, if I had a challenge, I would be like, oh, you know what? Like, how can I cut this corner? Right? Like, I'm never like, the person. It's like uh, the mundane or the, I guess, urgent you're getting pleasure out of. You're like, you're still like, yeah, I got this. Like, cool. Like, it's not, it's not a thing because that's how you're attached to it. But back in the other world that would have been like oh god yeah exactly at the end of the day everything that i'm doing is has a direct correlation to how we and myself succeed like not as a business but from a personal value standpoint like it is everything that i make every decision that we make is going to affect us directly whereas before you know i could be busting my ass on a project or a sale or whatever it may be and I'm just like another cog in the system, right? Like you're working for a 60,000 person company, you know, you people drinking the Kool-Aid, you have all these benefits, all this good shit. But at the end of the day, like I could blow out the number, but it's still team related. And so it, there wasn't like a lot of incentive there for me. And then at the same point, I'm just like, like I said, it's just felt disingenuous. So I think this, this is good, good train. How much of it, and I think this is where we get often caught into the conversation about what we do versus like how we do it or how we live. How much of that fulfillment comes from the studio pod product versus it's yours and like that, right? Like it's yours and everything you do affects everything about it. 
positive and negative and and you get that full entire ownership and you get to wake up and be that person well it's a little bit of both right like i feel like the ownership is the product people want to work with julian and i because they can see that there is no bullshit like there is no bullshittery that's what we try to convey when we work with a new client but also just like when julian and i are on a call with anybody it could be a personal relationship a partnership a you know potential new client existing client our feedback is you guys just vibe off each other. Like you guys are wholeheartedly giving us what you intend to do and what you're good at and what you're not good at. And I think that's refreshing for a lot of people. And so I hope that answers your question, but that's kind of like, where no, it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, right? When you were saying it, there is this, it ties right back into that. I it's genuine, right? In my space, I get to be me. This is one of the, and I feel that with our consulting business and everything that we do and Rodney and I are great at, like the things that we just know we feel connected to and we're awesome at. And I get to do that. Like, even if the product were just a little bit different at the end of the day, like the, that behavior, that attachment, that, that alignment to just be me is what just brings that energy. And so I know that when someone something happens at three in the morning, my response isn't an obligation of the hierarchy. And some people love that. And, I, and I'm not judging it. But I also, like for me, feel the exact same. My obligation is to do the job I want to do. And I'm going to bring my best because that's what I want. And thus, two, three in the morning isn't as big of a deal. Yeah, it's at least just, that's at the, what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just like I, I just feel like I'm always myself, right? Yeah. Like I'm just it's a great point. Like I just feel like I am a hundred percent TJ and my weird quirkiness and the way I do things can be a little ass backwards. And I understand that. And maybe it's a little OCD ish at the time. I don't have OCD, but maybe there is some little like little qualities there. And like it's okay. I'm getting shit done that I want to get done and I will be open to criticism if I need to do something better. But at the end of the day, it is it emanates through both myself and Julian. And that's why we're mm-hmm. both fulfilled doing this. And we're both excited at the challenges and like waking up at when I accidentally wake Julian up at 2 a.m. because I add him on a calendar invite that I shouldn't have had. And he's, you know, he's like, Hey, can we not do that ever again? Like, you know, <laughs> it, like it, I don't I don't kill my I guess I kill myself because I want to respect his time, but like yeah, I it's learning and I'm still doing the stuff that I love to do. And I am not I wear my heart on my sleeve. I have a, I have a shitload of emotions. I always have, and I don't do well with just like not being myself, right? And it's a on yeah. on that you sparked something. Like it's not about being an entrepreneur, or being a cog in somebody's will house. It is about being yourself. Mm-hmm. What allows you to be yourself? If that's being an exec at a tech firm or it's working at McDonald's, like if that allows you to be yourself. Everybody else can piss off. Oh man, that's a deep, I, like, deep question. <laughs> it's it's like my daughter, uh, she'll wear a princess dress. I'm like, oh, are you Moana or are you Elsa? And nine times out of ten, she's like, no, I'm Ruby. Yeah. Love I'm that. like, yeah. It's the best answer I could yeah, have ever. Best answer. Yeah. That is the best answer. You, you know, I think everyone has a different path to figuring out what is being yourself. What does that mean? I don't like. I think I said it earlier, like I, for a long time, I dealt with a bit of self-confidence issue. Like I just was not, did not 
like growing up, I was very conscious of like being, I had I used to have like flaming orange hair, flaming, like bright orange hair as a kid. And I got teased about it as a lot. I got teased about it a lot. And it caused me to like, you know, really stunt my relationships with, you know, with women in that case, you know, in dating and things like that. And I was like, oh, why would anyone ever want to date me? Why would anybody want to be involved like with a, with a ginger? Right. Like that was what I had to deal with. Just crazy now thinking about it. It's crazy now thinking about it. And then um, again, like when I got out of the separation or when the separation happened or occurred, you know, I got back. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I've been with someone for, you know, since I was 22. You know, what the fuck am I going to do here? Like, how am I going to meet somebody? Like, this is weird. I have this whole like stigma, this, you know, of being married. And I had, it took like a couple of close friends and family members to pull me aside and like, dude, this, I remember this distinctly. Like, dude, you're tall, you take care of yourself. And I hate to say it, and you're funny you'll be okay. You're going to be just fucking fine. And like, it, it took like getting pumped up to just like really believe in who I am and what I'm doing and see the success of people that want to do podcasting and people that are interested in just what I'm doing in life, even if it's from a professional standpoint and not a per personal standpoint. And so the whole point of this anecdote is just like, everyone gets there a little bit differently, right? And re reading stories and um, learning from, you know, like TED Talks or how I built this, you know, like those things fire me up and they motivate me because everybody comes from somewhere and you know finding yourself is, is a massive challenge right and there's still a lot of people who don't figure that out until they're like well and you know the later years of their life but once you do do that you get to that fulfillment stage that we talked about earlier at least that's what i believe i think everybody's track is different i think that one commonality you called this out earlier tj you said you know the the proof is in the pudding of the people that are around you and like the quality of people around you and it kind of is a mirror reflecting back. And I think a commonality in that road to finding oneself is having people around you that believe in you. Like if you don't have somebody around you that believes in you more than you believe in you from time to time, because like sometimes you should think you're the shit because you are, but those times when you don't, somebody can pull you or smack you around in a loving way and pull you out of it. Then you got to reevaluate who you, who you got around you. And I think that's, a commonality for those who, yeah. So you got teased a lot, which certainly impacted your confidence, self-worth, self-evaluation, which you found your way out of. However, as a kid, you spent a lot of time between San Francisco and Detroit. Why? And how hard did it make, or how much harder did it make it to have that confidence and self-worth and value? Yeah. So, um, so just to give you a little bit of like family history, uh, I, so I was born here in the Bay area. Um, but my mom is from upstate New York. My dad, uh, was from, uh, the Detroit area. And so when I was two and my sister was one, my mom, my dad moved out of the Bay area, uh, where they met to, to go to, to just outside of Detroit where my, uh, my dad is from and where our family is. And then uh, my dad passed away of liver cancer when I was seven. And so my mom, you know, was going through some stuff, family. My dad was the youngest and he was well-loved by everybody and it caught everybody by shock. He died when he was 35. So my mom picked us up and moved back to the Bay Area. And so that's where she met my stepdad or she knew my stepdad. And, you know, they, they hit it off, got married and had my brother um, when I was 10. And that's kind of where the you know the, the love of sports came in that's kind of where like it, i use it as escape um but also uh that's where the the lack of self-confidence came and you know i love my parents to death 
but a lot of shit I kind of had to figure out myself, which is fine. I think you you ultimately it's, it's good to do that and have some sort of like self self exploration. But it's just hard when you don't have like a, a shit ton of guidance, which is why I end up like I got really cl- I'm really close to so many friends because I would use them as like almost like father figure type situations or mother figure type situations because I did seem really feel comfortable talking to my my mom or stepdad about a lot of stuff, which I used to tell myself would be the would be the case if my dad was still alive, and so. I just kind of like internalized a lot of things and that didn't allow me to feel like I was be I was able to be open and honest with how I was feeling with a lot of with a lot of situations. It just kind of just like would internalize it and that would lead to like, you know, maybe temper tantrums or like getting really angry about certain things or, you know, experiencing a lot of panic attacks as a kid and all the way until I was like in my late twenties. Um so there was just a that that effect of going back and forth, even though I did have a stable home here in the Bay Area and I had a lot of friends and I would say I was born and raised, I would say I I was raised in the Bay Area, there still was just a lot of uh, finding out I had to do on my own as a kid and into my like adolescence, into my, you know, young adult years. Thanks for sharing that, man. Of course. The, we were actually having a conversation, I was having a conversation with somebody about loss of people close. I'm curious, how does that, does it still show up for you? Uh, like missing your dad or, or thinking about him? Like, how does that, somebody had suggested that it kind of never goes away with people that are real close. Yeah. You know, um, I used to think a lot about like the what ifs, right? Like if he was here, I would have, I wouldn't, I would have said like, fuck you to that bully or fuck you to the teasing. That shit doesn't matter. Right. I used to tell myself that, which is not necessarily the case whatsoever. Like I could have equally been like in situations where, I didn't want to be open like with him if he was still around. The, I think there's one key difference that I like, yes, I miss the hell out of him and I would give anything to be able to like hear his laugh and talk to him and ask for advice. Right. Like, I'm just happy of the time like I got with him and I'm fortunate. There's a lot of people out there who don't even get to meet their parents um, and they're still alive. Right. There's a lot of people out there who just never had the opportunity to build a relationship with a parent for, for whatever reason. It's, I think it's, it's, I miss the idea of having someone like that and being around. I think it's hard. Like, so he has two older brothers I've, who, who are, who also have sons that are um, the oldest of the, I'm the oldest of three. And one of them is the oldest, or they, they both have sons and I see their relationship with each other. And I'm like, that's exactly what our relationship would be like. Like, I just know it. Like, I just know it would be. They all, the brothers all look alike in some way. And I'm like, that's the hard part. Like seeing them communicate with each other and seeing like their relationship. I'm like, fuck, that's what I got to miss out on. Um, the relationship side of things. But yeah, you know, it's all a learning process. And I used to getting like anxiety attacks. And yeah, I, I mean, I used to suffer from anxiety attacks because I used to be deathly afraid of like dying, like really fucking scared of it. And I remember my first ever panic attack and it was the weirdest experience I ever had. And I suffered them and didn't really deal with them, right? I just let them happen, dealt with it, mentally got over it and moved on. And it wasn't until I discovered meditating and when I was like 28, 29, when they stopped. And I think I've, I haven't really experienced one since. And I'm 30. You answered now. the question I was going to ask. Yeah. What, um, cause you said when your brother was born, things oh. started and i don't i don't know if that was it or if it was just very much you both were processing the loss of your father and it just the environment wasn't right for you to do that because you said your mom was going through some stuff too well i think like my so i i don't know if i meant if i intended it that way but so 
my dad being the youngest and him passing away unexpectedly from something that was not hereditary and a, a kind of a fluke accident, if, if I'm being honest with you, which I've recently just learned, which is a whole nother crazy story, is that my mom just like wanted to get us in a safe spot and she wasn't comfortable just being in Detroit for a lot of different reasons. And so she moved back here. And then when my brother was born, like we had this like weird, weird, like kind of blended family, right? And my stepdad got in the picture. So the thing that's a little crazy here, my dad, my stepdad, and my mom were all friends. They're all friends when my parents were in the Bay Area together. They all used to work together at a, a place called Service Merchandise, which is like a like a circuit city, if, if anyone out there remembers what they are. Um, I think they may have been a barrier chain. Anyways, they used to work there and they were all homies. They also hang out. They used to party the whole thing. And so I used to know my stepdad is Uncle Jimmy. Um, and I remember him coming out to Michigan and being at my dad's funeral and being supportive and talking to him on the phone, you know, as a kid uh, when I lived in Michigan. And then it's, uh, you know, then they hit it off and like had my brother. And I don't think things changed. It was just like, okay, we're starting like a, a, a new family. And like I would go through, we'd go through like like internal crises. Like, do we change our last name? Right. I remember having that discussion with my mom. She goes, you know, ultimately it's your guys' decision if you want to do that. But just remember, like, this is your, your dad's name. You know, there was like weird conversations we'd have like that. And my sister and my stepdad never really had that like bond. Like I had sports. And so I was able to like bond with him about like sports and playing sports and, you know, watching it and the whole thing. And that's why it was so like integral to my childhood. But uh, my sister never really had that thing. And that's where I wish that I worked more to have that connection. Right. And, you know, she's living a great life in Colorado and she's done very well for herself in finding what has, means what happiness is for her. I just wish I was there to help her discover that sooner. Right. And be like kind of that protector. Um, I remember one of my uncles after my, I think it's my uncle, my grandpa, I forget, like after my dad had passed away at the funeral and we were about to move away. And I remember him, like, one of them pulling me aside. I, I wish I knew. I, could, I can't really, I just remember a figure. And then being like, all right, you're the man of the house now. Like, you got to take care of your mom. You got to take care of your sister. And I was so damn young. I was like seven or eight at the time. I was like, this is so heavy. Even at the time, I was like, this is so heavy. And I, I feel like I never really did that for Roma, right? And that's the part that like, eats at me a little bit. Well, the interesting thing with that, I think like now with context and especially having kids and like I can be a very literal person. Children are extremely like they don't have context. Like uh, saying something like that like, is um, interesting because like my my question is like, were there instructions with that? Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Were they did that? Did anybody tell you what that means to be the man in the house and how to take care of? No, That's no, just no, like, no. Hey, here's a here's a load of shit you need to do, but uh, deuces. Yeah, there was definitely no instruction. You know, my my dad and my dad's family in Michigan, they're all you know, they're Italian Americans, and my my grandpa was was a badass and in his own right, and didn't deal with bullshit from anybody, and came from nothing, like in the streets of Detroit, and and you know, essentially like made a living, raised a really great family, and there's I love hearing stories about like the shit that he would do and the shit that was really fucked up that he would do, but he had to deal with a lot of adversity and like, you know how it is. Like when you're, when you're, you know, men of that generation, you know, they're like, you just suck it up. You don't have emotions. You don't, what you're going to do is you're going to, you know, you're, you're the man, you got to take care, you got to provide, you know, that whole thing, which nowadays obviously for much better, the world is much better when everyone can support that, that, uh, uh, those endeavors if they want. Um, so I did never got an instruction. It was just like, that's how it raised. And, you know, my uncles were like that, you know, even my mom's side, you know, the same thing. It's, uh, you know, the men are supposed to provide. The men are supposed to be the ones who are going to take care of the wife and the kids and the dog and, you know, take on all the responsibilities and be the breadwinner and, you know, all that good stuff. 
so that's I think that's where they were coming from. But yeah, the no instruction whatsoever. <laughs> it was just like uh, build a plane as you fly. Just a little seven year old yeah. DJ. It's like entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why I was there's, eager to do it. There's the segue. There it is. <laughs> well, I, it's, I, I want to take you off the therapy couch. Um, sorry. No, to, it's all good. I to, can go down. Over, like, I'm very open, man. I'm very open. Yeah, so. over index on, on some heavy life experiences because the story behind it is still very resonant. And I'm as I am now coming to a place of feeling that belief right how did you ultimately get to that point like and and really bring yourself into that space to say it's time and here i am and now after all of that like you kind of kind of made it happen yeah so it at first it's just kind of like it's finding something that i believed in right like it all goes back into like be being disingenuous like i wanted i i didn't want it there's a ton of companies out there and a lot of successful companies where people create something because there is a gap in the market of whatever industry that they're doing right and so like they they find it and they become passionate about it because they see an opportunity to make a shitload of money and exit like by being acquired ipo whatever it may be nothing wrong with that i knew and I was self-aware to the point like I want to do something that I gave a shit about, right? So that was the first step. And podcasting just kind of came into my life just serendipitously, I guess. Like just got introduced to it like pretty early on, 2015, 2014. I used to work in radio and I, I love this idea of like no commercial radio. And so when I found it, it was like, okay, this is a, this is a cool thing. I like doing it. I like being on air. I like interviewing people. I like talking about something that I care about. Um, so that was the first thing, just like finding that. And then it was like, okay, that's step one. You have something you give a shit about, and this is a hobby. And then recognizing, okay, well, now there is a gap in the market for this hobby. Like, is there an opportunity for me to do what I give a shit about to make money doing it? Right. And then it was the final step was just like, okay, formulating a plan to actually make it your full-time gig and that people would want to take a chance on the business that you're ultimately creating or that we were ultimately creating. He started bringing up earlier leadership. Like you, this is like, it was one of the fastest answers that you gave. Um, and then you were like, yeah, there's other stuff. But um, you kind of qualified like leadership, you're a new entrepreneur, knowing that people leave not so much companies, but they leave leaders. They follow leaders. I, I mean, leadership is a value of mine. It's a core value. So I'm kind of a leadership nerd. Uh, I don't know if I'm good at it, but I want to be. But like, where, like, what does leadership mean to you, or where are you at in your journey and understanding leadership? Maybe that's the question. That's still very early, right? Like, I'm not going to pretend like I know everything because I don't. And I want to. It comes from a like a trusting a gut situation too. Like, I want to be a motivator, but I also want to provide people an opportunity to do and work for interesting creative, like creative roles, right? And I, I want to support that. I think often. We imagine, and when you're in a leadership role, when you imagine that people are going to be as motivated as you as what what is that you're working on, which is not the case at all. Like you need to really understand and ask why. Like bringing it back, like why do they like working for for you? Like are you going to be an accelerant to their career? You know what can you do to provide them motivation in in, in what they're doing in their day to day life or just working on a project? And I think leadership is being open and wholehearted with those conversations, not making any assumptions of like, because I give a shit about this, you need to give a shit about this. No, like we, like you are never going to get the best out of somebody unless they are really 
motivated and jazzed to be working on a project. And so you just got to have those conversations sometime. Right. And like the whole, uh, you should work like an owner. Oh my is God. Bullshit. Yeah. Total like, bullshit. Pay me like an owner. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, for sure. Like, why, what? This isn't my, I didn't come up with and this. You know what? That's like, that's honestly, and you guys can, for video here, you guys can see like how this bothers me. Working for startups, <laughs> like this whole idea of like drink, like drinking the Kool Aid, like it yeah. fucking drives me nuts. It drives me nuts because you get paid like shit. Um, they tell you that if you don't work hard, then you know you're going to affect the business, and the business won't succeed, and you won't make a ton of money, especially here in Silicon Valley. And the shares that you are granted that mean fucking nothing when you're there, unless you go public, literally, like literally nothing. They they tell you like, oh, this is going, you know, you're going to help us achieve there. It's like, no, like that's why like, I have no problem when people jump from job to job to job to find it is to find out where they're going to go or make money that way, because at the end of the day, that company will cut you so fucking fast. And that's why, like, I really have these conversations. I've had a ton of conversations with some friends who aren't fulfilled with their job and are not making money. It's like, man, you got to do what you got to do. If it's not at that company, start your own thing, start a side hustle, find passion. How do you, so just on that, when you think about leadership, knowing where you came from, and I think about this a lot, I know that they are probably, they're certainly not going to care as much as I do right? You know, your people at two or three in the morning when something comes up, aren't going to be like, yes, let's fix a problem, right? Yet you need to balance two things. One, the need to do the job. And in my opinion, two, the, the space for them to find what fulfills them, whether it's with you or not. Like, how do you, how have you started on your journey managing that balance? And do you agree with what I just said, or do you have a different approach? No, I do agree. I do agree with it because that is, that is the challenge of being a leader, right? If you want to build a successful company that is not going to be like, um, you know, a lifestyle brand or something that's just going to, you know, get you by year over year, month over month, what have you. You have to get buy-in from the team that you are ultimately building, the people you're working with, and the customers that you support, or the products that you support, whatever it may be, right? And that's the challenge. Like that's where, like, oh, drinking the Kool-Aid, the whole thing. Like, good leaders not only provide like motivation, but they provide realness into insight of what the business is doing, how they're performing, and where like you ultimately, where teams or individuals need to either improve or be motivated, right? I wouldn't even say improve, which is like, how can we get you motivated? If you're not doing well in this, like, what do you care about, right? Like, what what is it that you're going to do? And then finding a role or finding something that's going to get them motivated or just- And like- I think on that, like, I think about, I com- having conversations with my dad because uh, he was a supervisor of the FAA for a long time. And I remember being pissed off in my first job after college of just like the leadership or I, that's not even the word. I can't use that word. The people that were my bosses. And he was like, yeah, well you, you lead people and you manage numbers. So like you're being managed. That's why you're not happy. And I remember growing up, I remember when he would, he would work extra shifts. He would work holidays, which kind of annoyed me. Cause I'm like, I'm losing time. But like, he knew like this guy, it doesn't get like maybe hit him and his wife are divorced and he doesn't get to see his son except for the holidays. So he's like, Hey, you take, the, I'll take your shift. And he would work it for him. Or he would do things like that just to be like, well, what's valuable to you? Cause I'm going to need the best that I can get from you when you're here directing these planes, lives are at stake. So I'm going to give you a little bit of extra from this. End. And I think that that, I mean, Keith, you and I talk about this. We talked about it this week 
uh, actually, you know, this idea of for us, it's even all the way to the other end of scale. Like, I want you to go find what you want to do. And I want you to find it. And like, I want to help you get there. And I don't want you to work for me forever. I think we've got this like scarce, like uh, if I, if I help them, if I work them out of a job or if I help them promote themselves or go do their thing that I'm going to be SOL. And it's like, well, it's not about you. And I think to add to that too, cause TJ, you said it when, and I, you know, especially with big companies, it's easy to say like, they'll cut you like that. So find what you want to do when you're an entrepreneur. It's like, I can cut you like that. Right. Like if you're not doing what you need to be doing, we're going to have to move on. And while you're here, I want to do everything I can to help you figure out whatever that is. And in that, you may love it and up your performance and be here, or at least you'll up your performance while you're here. And then next thing you know, it we're all happier because that we're honest about it. Right. Like we get this, there's, such a dishonest relationship between employees and companies. You know, the company wants you to bring their best and the employee wants to feel like this is, I mean, they spend 40 hours a week here at least, right? And like, I want to feel like I belong here. And yet at the end of the day, we have big layoffs, riffs and, you know, up, oh, see you later. Now I feel betrayed. And yeah, and there's, there's just nothing. But if we can be honest about it, like bring your best. If you don't bring your best, I can let you go. But at least while you're here, let's find out like what, what revs you up, what drives you? Like, are you in the wrong job? Should you be doing something different? Should we be trying something different? Like what's going on? And it just ends up in a better place. Like I'm not giving you a pension, but at least that can be a form of a modern day pension. I don't know. I think it's, it's just, it's always a challenge, right? I think there's always like, when you get that in any relationship, once you get to resentment, it's hard to recover from that, right? And I think there's a lot of times, like, yeah. you know, if you're in a manager or in a leader's position and you start to resent, you know, people that, or individuals or workers that aren't giving your best, or if you're on the employee side of things and you resent a company because, or your, you know, your leaders because they're not giving you a raise or they're not giving you insight, like once you do that, it's just like, it's a tough spot to be in. Um, and as you grow a company, like how do you build individual relationships to understand, you know, what drives somebody? And it's, it's, it's tough, right? And that's why you got to like, it's, it starts from the top and you got to be wholehearted about it. And then it's got to, it's got to emanate down. Right. And that's, that's kind of what, when Julie and I started it, like we're like, we are going to no bullshittery, no bullshittery whatsoever. Like we need to, that's number one goal. Right. Is that on the wall? Is that the motto? No, no we should actually, we should. We you should. need a sign. You yeah, need to print it out. need a sign. Yeah. I should, maybe I should get it on the pod. What do y'all think about, it's a, like the themes I'm hearing here are like misalignment. And I, like if we, I kind of want to get existential for a second, that's where we live. It homie. seems like humans, like are like, is any human meant to work behind a screen and and sell shit that they can't tangibly touch and they don't even know what the fuck it really does? Like, is that is like, are we? Me- I think no. I think there's like no, a the super answer is no. Basic- yeah, I can that, that I firmly believe that no. <laughs> well, I mean, add to that, like humans, mammals, we are not meant to have shared currency. Like we are, we were not evolutionary, evolutionarily speaking, we, we way more time without shared currency and what shared currency does to the psychology and human experience, mammalian experience tests have been done on monkeys. Like it's caustic. And as a result, we are adapting, but we end up getting stuck in all of these things that we have no alignment for or not meant to do because of money 
So then that would go to the second thing that I was picking up was, which was, uh, I think Keith, did you say tr- trust, dishonesty, like not being able to be honest about those con- Oh, both of you said it being honest about the conversations at work. And like, should I be here? And like that it's like at the most basic core level level, we're dishonest about it. So we're starting at a, just, you know, the couple points down. And I think maybe people have different tolerance levels for that misalignment, you know, like the, the VP, the, the CVP at Salesforce has a higher tolerance for that misalignment than you, TJ. Yeah, I think uh, I think I know where you're getting at. And, and maybe, yeah. maybe yeah. they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I don't. Know. It's it's just like it's it's hard, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, and it goes back to what Keith is saying. Like, everything comes back to like it's it's just all driven by currency, right? Like, I mean, at the you know, you could work your ass off, but at the end of the day, if you're not providing, you know, that that revenue or whatever you're doing, like when you work at those big companies, there's so much pressure to to drive, you know, that number, especially if you're in sales, man. I like. Yes, exactly. So it's like, you know, it's, uh, I'm happy to be in a situation where like, I can hope people will be honest. And, you know, when they start to work for us and what we're doing, and like, um, as we grow, like, there is an opportunity where people can like have flexibility in their schedules and, you know, do things that they want to do. A thought here on the entrepreneur side, like, we were having a conversation over this week about like, not getting caught back in that trap of like, I'm used to big company sales. And so like, kind of trading one one golden cell for another like oh i've left this and now i'm over here and it's like yo where's my numbers b like i need you to get your sales up like because because the end of the day keith you nailed it currency like it's right back to like is currency the win is currency the success metric it's the one i've been taught is the most important but is it i mean i don't think it is but if you're in like, sales, how have you balanced that sales, TJ? like how have you not gone right back to what <laughs> yeah. you know I yeah. mean, that's, God, that's a great question. And I think it's still like a learning process, right? Like I think, so yes, in order for us to continue just like any small business, right? Or any growing business, you need to have the revenue to to get to a spot where you can support yourself and those who are, you know, work yet, yeah, right? It, it matters. But what also matters is building something that people can appreciate. Like for example, Julian and I, before we came on as 50-50 partners, we were like, we want to build, obviously we want to create something that will provide us generational wealth, but that's not like that implies, you know, currency, but it's more of like, how can we, (laughs) how can we um, allow our, our business to deal with all the things that current Silicon Valley companies deal with, like diversity with our workforce and making sure that we are hiring people that come from many different backgrounds and then you know we want to be known as that that company that is helping those who normally wouldn't be in the audio space be able to get in the audio space like that was very very clear from day one and that was a very that was a non-negotiable for both of us and to me that is a that is a a type of currency if you will right like that is a way like we are people who want to come work for studio pod or interested in working with us whether they're a client or an individual, we want them to know that we are different in that way. Well, listen, this has been, and I have been listening um, on mute as uh, I, we, we have a fourth interviewer. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well done, TJ. That was, that was, that was classy, man. That was classy. Fair, fair. You know um, what? Let's all do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us and 
diving deep and going going wide like this is a really fun conversation and and um, i gotta say that i man big thank you like i'm glad you came on um i did listen to one of your uh, episodes last night it was actually one on um knowing your audience as a podcast and that's something that we're exploring and i'm like i really appreciate how y'all delivered it i was like first taken aback i was like Oh, oh, this is professional TJ and Julian. I like it. Like, <laughs> you put on my but, like, when it I was super to. succinct and like packed full of goodness. So like if you got if you if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I highly recommend going to listen to what was was getting out there. Um, they, have, they have a lot of episodes on on how. So, yeah. What does what does compassion mean to you? Compassion is being is being completely honest with yourself first so you can be honest with somebody else is how I look at it. I don't believe that you can be compassionate towards somebody when there's, when there's no compassion within what you're doing, right? So be compassionate to yourself first, and then that will emanate to anybody that you're working with from a relationship standpoint, personal, professional, or other. Um, I think there's often two times we get empathy and compassion mixed up and you can be empathetic towards somebody else but how do you be empathetic towards yourself so i think if you can be compassionate towards yourself and this is coming from somebody who has an inner critic like if you can be compassionate towards yourself then you allow yourself to be open to to others and other situations so i'm gonna go with that guys i'm gonna go with that 